We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome back. We did not uh, run away and hide from you guys. Took a nice little summer vacation uh, along with hopefully all of you as well. Uh, NBA fans across the nation, it's that time of year where things just finally slow down. A little bit. It feels like it'll never come. It gets here, and it's nice. So anyways, we're back. We've got a lot to discuss today. Um, this is episode 72 of BuzzBeat Radio. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and home at QueenCityHoops.com. Our good friends over at Sports Channel 8, uh, they're still churning it out, doing a great job prepping for college football. I know that uh, the radio shows on Saturday morning, which I was lucky enough to be a part of, um, I don't know, three or four Saturdays ago, I guess. Um, those are still going, BG, through, remind me what the final date is. So the final date is the last, I believe there are two more episodes. I believe August 25th is, is perhaps the last one from 10 to 12. But um, and I, this is sort of burying the Easter egg a little bit here. But stay tuned, there's an announcement coming up that the show will be at a different time slot, but going for a little bit longer, basically. Awesome. That is awesome news and obviously well-deserved. Uh, Hayes Permar and the boys over at Sports Channel 8 do an awesome job. Um, like I said, I got to see it firsthand a few weeks ago and, and be a part. It was BuzzBeat was there, uh, Raleigh City Sports was there, and then um, Section 328, right? Yeah, that was yeah. fun. So we had, a, we had a Hornets podcast, a Hurricanes podcast, and um, an NCFC soccer podcast there, too. So that was really cool. A lot, a lot of fun. Really cool what they do over there. Uh, hats off to those guys. So good job, Sports Channel 8. Check them out, sportschannel8.com. Saturday mornings, um, 99.9 The Fan, 10 a.m. to noon is their radio show. And then they're at Sports Channel, the number eight, on Twitter. Okay, um, well, let's check in. Uh, not only have we not gotten on here and uh, recorded a podcast in a while, but I really haven't talked to you guys that <laughs> much recently. So, Richie, uh, life update. What's going on? 
Uh, a lot, a lot is going on. Uh, you know, the pregnancy is getting a little bit more real. Uh, we've been going to some uh, baby classes, maternity classes, learning about how to take care of babies. We actually have a uh, tour of the hospital today, uh, so that's getting more and more real. Uh, the, nur- the nursery's done, so that's good. That that was our summer project. That's pretty much all all taken care of. Ter- care of. Um, you know, we got all the furniture in there as well. So uh, a lot of major updates uh, in the Randall household. Good stuff. Very exciting. Um, excited for you. We've got some uh, transition things coming up here. You put together a long video for us the other day to teach us how to uh, wipe our own butts when, when you're not there to do it for us <laughs> after the baby comes. So we're going to have to learn to podcast a little better. Richie, behind the scenes, always the man. Don't forget that. Uh, he brings all this great content to you guys. Uh, BG, what is up? It was nice to finally meet you a few weeks ago, which we talked about a minute ago. What have you been up to since then? Uh, first off, it was great meeting you as well, uh, after knowing you for <laughs> over a year. So it's cool to finally put face to name. And now I've met both of you guys individually, uh, in real life, as opposed to just being a little portion of my screen as we Skype and record here. Summer's been pretty nice. So it's pretty nice so far. Didn't do all that much in July, but I've got some travel plans for the end of August, going to go to Portland with a buddy of mine, Portland, Oregon. I'm really looking forward to that. Never been to the Pacific Northwest, but I'm uh, excited for that. Going to the beach for a few days here as well. And yeah, I don't know. Summer's been, I'm enjoying the downtime, but uh, definitely missing basketball, especially once the World Cup it ended too. It was like, I now all of a sudden there's sort of this sports void in my life, so uh, it's good to get on here and talk hoops with you guys. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Hey, wait, great wait, Spencer, you have, yeah. a, do you have a, do yeah. you have a, a, a pet update that you want to yeah. get, bring the listeners in on too? Yeah, I was, I was going to mention it. So I, I threw it on Twitter, I guess three weeks ago when we got him, but yeah, so I have a baby of my own, not a, not a human baby, but, uh, but a dog baby, uh, who's now, I guess he's going on 12 weeks old and his name is Kimba. I convinced my wife that that was the best choice of name for for our male dog. He's a labradoodle. He's the man. He's finally sleeping through the night, and uh, and he's already potty trained. So we're pretty happy with the progress. He's also excited for basketball season and um, to watch Kimba Walker. Um, so, yeah, my first son, Kimba, he's here. Uh, we're excited about that. <laughs> um, all right, let's get in here. So what we're going to do, I think, to start, because we haven't been on in, I don't know, Richie, it's been like a month or something like that. So we, we want to cover a lot for you guys, but we also don't want to get drowned in the stuff that's old news. And, and really, you, you guys have already seen it and heard it. So we'll, we'll touch on it, and then we'll get into the, uh, the stickier stuff a little, a little later in the show and, and really get in depth at that point. So the newsy part, let's start here. Tony Parker, you know, he signed. Everybody was excited. It's a two-year, $10 million deal. But we didn't know what the second year was going to be. We assumed it was just going to be five and five flat, all guaranteed. Well, about, I guess it was three weeks after the signing. I think I'm right on that. Zach mm-hmm. Lowe reports that the second year of the deal is actually non guaranteed. Um, I should have pulled that trigger date up. I don't have it right in front of me. I'll find it in a second. But my quick reaction is okay, this makes a lot more sense. I was, it was almost like, okay, exhale. Um, we're not sure how many games Parker can play. Obviously, that's the main concern. But knowing if this if he plays 40 games, this thing really doesn't go very well. The Hornets are not hooked uh, for two years on this deal, and they can pretty much part ways. So I think this is a great signing. Uh, you know, I think they could have done better with a guy like Shabazz Napier. 
but the non-guarantee in the second year makes me feel a ton better. PG. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. The we said the three of us talked about this plenty that that contract, if the second year had been guaranteed, there was a certain amount of risk associated with that, and I feel like. Even if you aren't too keen on Parker being a part of next season's roster in 1819, and you would have preferred Shabazz Napier, which I would probably put myself in that category too, at least the the second year now being um, and again, I, I just tried finding the trigger date real quickly and couldn't do that myself. So we need to we do need to pull that up. But I, I got it. I, I just didn't have my spreadsheet pulled up. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'll give it to you real quick because I just want you to kind of react on the fly. I have, I have yeah, but yeah. Go ahead. I uh, just was just going to say, I this deal, it makes so much more sense. You know, if Tony, if Parker, let's say he does play well this year, well, then you've got some assurance that you can at least have another backup coming back for you next season. If he doesn't play well, then you can just cut ties and there's no, you know, there's no risks, risk associated with that there. And, and, it, and I don't think it'll come to this because the team seems pretty much dead set on, contending for the playoffs and I think they'll contend for the playoffs until they're you know if not mathematically eliminated then damn near close but let's just say things went south badly during the season well that becomes a potential trade shift that you could use uh leading into the deadline which would be in early February too so there is that so the fact that they got the second um as a non-guarantee and it, you know basically a team option is huge and it changes the equation slightly in a more beneficial way for the Hornets. Yeah. So the trigger date is July the 4th, which is a very, a very awkward one for Parker because free agency has obviously already started at that point. Mm -hmm. He would not be a point guard that, you know, is, is flying off the shelves as a free agent at the age of 37 by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it, it limits his ability to make plans. If the Hornets, um, don't act quickly on a decision, um, yeah, and I mean, you make a great point, BG, on um, you know on, on Tony Parker and the non-guarantee on that second year and being able to trade him potentially. I would say looking at a, another tool the Hornets uh, acquired in the Dwight Howard deal is that trade exception, almost eight million dollars. You know, they could ship Parker out as an expiring contract, take back on up to eight million, um, maybe in point guard help and help some team out there get under the tax. Um, and maybe extract a pick for a deal like that too. I mean, that that seems to be kind of the running cost. You got to send something else back than a player if, if we're helping you get under the tax line. So um, it's a great point. I think the second year non guarantee is awesome for the Parker contract. It makes me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, Devonte Graham uh, injury update. You know, in summer league we got the terrible news. We were literally uh, recording live. <laughs> we saw. It. I think that was the last episode we had. Yeah. It was. Um, yeah. So he. So a con a condylar lesion in his right knee was I, I might have butchered the the verbiage there, but we'll, we'll call it that was the original diagnosis. Um, you know that injury is a very severe one in the worst cases. Uh, he elected not to have surgery, and there's video out there you can Google it right now of him at Chris Paul camp in Winston Salem, um, and he looked great. I, I think he was guarding mm-hmm. Chris Paul right BG, and he, he looked yep. pretty healthy to me. That was really promising to see. Again, it's just a little snippet that you, you see from this from the camp in Winston. It goes out. It goes uh, to say it goes viral is probably too strong and overemphasizing the power of Hornets Twitter. But 
definitely good considering there hadn't been a lot of word out of Charlotte outside of he's not going to get surgery. And basically the last you'd seen him was when he got, when he right before the summer league game where it was announced that he wouldn't be able to play, which was certainly a disappointment to hear because he had been playing very well out in Vegas and had shot decently from the mid range, got to the rim. Uh, I think he was averaging six assists per game out in Vegas too. So really nice to see him. Hey, just being in attendance at that camp is cool. I mean, like that, I've gone to the, I've not myself participated in it, but I've covered that camp before. And it's a really neat event in Winston that Chris Paul runs. And a lot of good ACC, there were six players from the ACC there this year too. Uh, Spencer's boy, Ty Jerome, did pretty well uh, from what, from what the reports are. Yeah, like which, is, which is great to hear. Um, but Justin Robinson was there, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, those two guys from Virginia Tech. Uh, just cool to see all the ACC guys that were in attendance. But most importantly, in, in regards to this podcast, very nice to see Devontae upright on a court in a stance. And, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, with a little more recovery, there's no need to rush this guy back whatsoever. He's your third point guard. You signed him for three years so you could so you could get the bird rights. He's clearly you traded a, a pick to get him too. This guy's clearly a part of the the blueprint going forward. And so there's no need to rush him back. So here's hoping for a full recovery after some good news of hearing no surgery and then seeing the video of him from the CP3 camp. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, perfectly said. I, I'm really excited for Devontae this season. You know, I, I'm not I don't know if he's ready to be thrust into a real role in the NBA. I mean, Summer League, I think, certainly suggested that he's more ready than a lot of people gave him credit for. Yeah. Um, I thought he was one of the best point guards at Summer League when he played. Um, but look, if Tony Parker, kind of to the tune of what we were just talking about, is not able to play the amount of games that you know, a backup point guard in this, in this league should— I think Devontae Graham, I'm excited for his mm-hmm. role. I'm excited for his opportunity. I'm not as nervous as I typically would be with just throwing a rookie point guard into a backup role, right? Like, mm-hmm. I actually think this guy can come in and do some cool things for this team. So we'll see where it lands, but this is awesome news um, that, at least for now, I don't know what the long-term um, outlook is on, on an injury like this, how, how easy it is to reoccur, but he's elected no surgery and he looks good. So, you know, for all we know, that's good news right now. Mm-hmm. Um, BG, anything else on Devante? No, just like you said, I- I'm excited for him too. And I think after, you know, we saw this guy as a proven player in college <clears throat> and in summer league, he even surprised me with his, some of his defensive acumen and I, and I love his compete level and, yeah, I think hopefully we'll see him some in Greensboro this year and some in Charlotte this year. And I'd like to see him put up numbers in Greensboro and, and be a part of the rotation when he's in Charlotte. Yeah, good point. He surprised me defensively. He did yeah. surprise me defensively in summer league. That, that's a part of his game that I, I just had overlooked uh, at Kansas um, on me, obviously, because now I go back and look and, and read. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he was a pretty good defender there, too. I, I don't mm-hmm. know why I didn't notice that. But anyways, impressed with that as well. All right, a uh, few more newsy things, and we're going to jump in. Uh, Kimba 2K rating, 86, seventh among point guards. <laughs> Gee, overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated? I'm saying slightly underrated, uh, mostly because I'm looking at some of the company that's around him. So he's the seventh overall point guard at an 86. And, and Spencer, you, you, Rich, and I were talking about this before we recorded today. I, I aspire to be more into video games, but it's just been a while since I've been like a dedicated 2K player. But 
Spencer's the or Kemba is the seventh overall point guard. Mike Conley is eighth at 84. Bledsoe is tied for ninth with Drew Holiday at 84. Mike Conley's 85. Bledsoe Holiday 84. I mean, honestly, Drew Holiday's got a got probably got a case to be made to be ranked uh, higher than Bledsoe and Conley. So if I, if I were a Pelicans fan, maybe I'd be a little disappointed by that. Um, I think Damian Lillard being a, a 90 and tied for fourth with Chris Paul is like a little bit of a joke because Chris Paul is way, way, way better than Damian Lillard. And I think Kemba and Damian Lillard are – I just – it's weird because Portland's not a huge market either too, but they've just been better. They've They've been more competitive. They've been on more national TV games. He has a national – uh, shoe advertisement with Adidas and has for several years now. So he's been marketed as a bigger star, but you can't convince me that Damian Lillard is like a discernibly better basketball player than, than Kemba Walker, even though he was, he was certainly great this past season. Um, if anything, I think the thing that stings the most is that Donovan Mitchell, who the Hornets could have selected in the 2017 NBA draft checks in at an 87 overall, the number seven shooting guard, or pardon me, the number six shooting guard tied with Brad Beal just behind Victor Oladipo and right in front of Devin Booker, CJ McCollum, and CJ McCollum. Um, yeah, I'm not going to really add anything to that. I'm not a video <laughs> games guy either. Um, probably less than UBG. But uh, hey, look, uh, seventh among point guards. I, I mean, I think that's fine. I, I think it's yeah. ap- uh, appropriately rated. I would say that John Wall, John Wall just annoys me. Just you always talk a huge game. You never live up to the hype. Uh, you know the way you lead your team is annoying. So I think Kimba Walker is a, is a better overall player than John Wall. Boom, I said it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just I, I just believe that. I'm not a John Wall guy. Um, it looks like he has not been taking care of his body. If you if you missed the uh, viral USA Basketball shot from uh, earlier <laughs> yeah, this it was season, amazing. <laughs> it, it looks like that guy's not in great shape, which I'm not shocked by. Just not a John Wall guy. Anyway, so. I, I would put Kimba ahead of him. Yes, to your point uh, with Damian Lillard, if it's a video game where you're only playing offense, then sure, yeah. that's an appropriate rating. <laughs> but where you also have to play defense, I would say Kimba's probably a little closer uh, to, to Damian. So, um, but we'll see. Maybe we can get that 2K rating up to, to a 90. That, that's still like an attainable goal for Kimba. Yeah. Would you say that's fair, 90 for next season? Definitely. I definitely think so. And... Yeah, I mean, look, I just think the way the season ended for Lillard last season, I'm surprised he is because it, it did not look good in the playoffs against the Pelicans, who basically just vaporized him off the floor. Um, and look, I think that would happen to a, a lot of good point guards, including Kemba, if you had Anthony Davis in the middle of the floor, basically controlling everything. But um, I would also say, too, did you see the the quote this week from John Wall where he was basically saying the Wizards are on par with I believe it was with the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Sixers, and it was like, buddy, I hate to break it to you, but that ain't the, that is not the case. Those teams are considerably better than your team, and well, in my opinion, on, yeah, I mean, we're on like year four or five now, where yeah, he, right, like he has right. a very skewed vision of what they are as a team. Yeah, yeah, he does, and it's like, but the thing is, I think specific towards this year's roster in eighteen nineteen, like you want to know how this thing's going to go south with with Dwight Howard being there. And the locker room not coalescing, especially because it doesn't seem like Wall is just, again, I'm just judging from a thousand miles away that he's not the most popular guy in the locker room either amongst his own team. 
I just like this is how this is how it gets flammable in Washington real quickly is is if they come in with expectations of like, hey, we should be contending for an Eastern Conference title because they're not going to get there. And you think once they fall short of those lofty internal expectations, well, then I just I think there's a chance. I think it's I think it could get messy in Washington this year. And I think uh, statements like that are benign, but they sort of give you an understanding of why that locker room might be um, a little unstable. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Um, Richie, I'm jumping off the script, but Patrick Connor seven had a Twitter question. So let's just, while we're on the topic, let's just stay on it. Uh, All right. So quote Patrick Connor seven, one of our biggest fans. We're one of your biggest fans too. Want you to know that Uh, loyal listener. So here's Patrick Connor sevens question, not a Hornets question, but could affect our playoff chances. Good point. How do you guys see things playing out with Dwight on the whiz question? I believe D12, the D12 effect could cause them to miss the playoffs. I think you're definitely right. Patrick, here's what I'll tell you. Thank you for the question. Um, I respectfully uh, request no more questions about Dwight Howard. <laughs> I'll buzz me ever again because I'm so sick and tired of, of thinking about him and talking about him. But again, no, great question. Thank you for sending it. I think BG just gave an answer. Um, he might have a few more thoughts to add here. I agree with BG. I think it's going to go horribly. Um, I just... I don't know, like, John Wall has not shown an ability to be a leader. Bradley Beal has not shown an ability to be a leader. Both of them showed an ability to be a little bit selfish, uh, a little bit about me, more than the team throughout their career. And Dwight Howard, God knows, he hasn't ever shown the ability to be a leader. So I don't know how you could expect things to go well for the Wizards. Um, I I just, like, if you want to look at this squad and this roster in an optimistic like 50 win window, then I don't want to talk to you because I just don't see a way that that happens. I don't see a path there. Um, and if it happens, I'm, <laughs> I might have to quit basketball. Seriously. Like if <laughs> up there wins like 50 to 55 games and balls out and plays hard defensively and gobbles up rebounds and rolls to the rim hard and, you know, demands less post-ups then like, I don't know. I might have to go into a cave for a few years and, and have some therapy. Did you anything to add there? Yeah, uh, I I agree. It is going to be a relief to not have to to psychoanalyze, you know, Dwight Howard and post touches and stuff like that this year for the the Hornets. I think the Wizards. It's weird. It's like they're safely one of the top six teams in the Eastern Conference. In my opinion, I would put them at number six, just behind Indiana. Um, and I think they can win 44, 43, 45 games, which it's crazy that like that's enough to safely be the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. But I think they benefit from the league overall just being not that good and there being the conference, there being a pretty serious um, drop in talent once you get to teams like uh, Detroit and Miami and the Hornets, who I think are probably mid to upper 30s in terms of, of wins, or maybe they even get closer to the, the 40 win mark too, depending on how some of the rookies play, et cetera. But um, the one thing I'll also say too, just real quickly to finish up on, on the Wizards here, is the last couple of years, when healthy, John Wall's been one of the better pick and roll guards in the world. And this year, Bradley Beal became one of the better pick and roll guards in the world. Now, both those guys are really talented guards, you know, entering or in the prime of their careers. They've also benefited from playing with a guy named Marcin Gortat, the, the Polish hammer. He's not in, he's not there anymore. 
is one of those guys. He's like a Cody Zell in terms of his ability to screen, hold screens. Uh, I think he may have led the league in screen assists last season. If not, he was in the top three or four, and he has been each of the last probably three, four seasons. Um, and his per 36 numbers on that are, I mean, he and Cody are, are elite on that level. And they're not going to have that. They're going to have Dwight Howard not holding the screen, rolling aimlessly to the hoop. And I just think even offensively, it's going to be tougher for them to get north-south uh, than it has in, in previous years, simply because one of the best screen setters in the world in terms of big men, Gortat, is, is in Los Angeles now. So, And I don't think Dwight is, as we saw last season, I mean, again, he can still get up and finish above the rim, but in terms of being committed to setting good screens and, and rolling hard and stuff, like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think it could could get ugly, though. Yeah, well said. Well said. Both really good pick-and-roll players. Uh, but, yeah, I just it boils down to, like, exactly how you painted it, BG, is that uh, Dwight Howard's just going to care more now to, to atten- attention to detail. He's just all of a sudden going to turn a corner there. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. 15 right. years in, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think so. And, and you know what? John Wall is uh, abrasive isn't the right word, but, he, but he's certainly more verbal, I would say, than a guy like Kimball Walker, especially yeah. in the media. And um, and there's going to be a point in time this season where either Bradley Beal or John Wall share their thoughts on Dwight Howard, and it's going to turn into a you-know-what mm-hmm. show. So mm-hmm. I can't wait for it either. Um, all right, let's see. Let's... Let's move on here and talk about some training camp uh, news. I really don't think any of this is, is super pertinent uh, down the road. I, I think the Hornets roster is pretty much set. Don't think that they're going to add a 15th guy. I think they're going to keep yeah. that roster spot open, and they already have both their two-way contracts sealed up. Uh, Matt Yang back on another two-way, mm-hmm. and then um, and then J.P. Makura, uh, the kid out of Xavier, who I really like, actually, um, on the other two-way. So, that said, training camp signees, these are called Exhibit 10 contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Barford, a guard from Arkansas. Um, if you watch his highlights on YouTube, he actually reminds you a lot of Lance Stevenson. Much shorter, not the same body <laughs> type, but like shot selection and like who he thinks he is as a player. It just it screams Lance Stevenson. Um, so volume, microwave score kind of guy. Isaiah Wilkins, Ford out of UVA. Um, really, really, really good defensive player uh, about as limited as it gets offensively though. And that guy just has not been able to stay healthy uh, mm-hmm. for quite a long time. A uh, lot of ability defensively though. Zach Smith, Florida, Texas tech, uh, similar, really good defender, not as versatile as Wilkins, uh, rim runner can leap out of the gym. Uh, was really just the, the, the trash man for Texas tech. I would say mm-hmm. uh, the dirty stuff, energy, rim protection, uh, kind of play for them. Uh, and then Joe Cheeley, I hope I'm saying your last name right, guard out of the College of Charleston, really good overall player for them. I think led the team in scoring um, on a pretty good CFC team. Again, I don't expect any of these guys to uh, to land with Charlotte. Now they could all land in Greensboro or at least mm-hmm. a few of them. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but I would not expect to see any of these individuals in Charlotte next season. Yeah, that sounds about right. But hey, look, guys, we went out and we got a Z Smith. From Texas Tech. Now it's not Zaire, but we did get at least one Z Smith. Uh, the, the Hornets got at least one Z Smith from Texas Tech this summer. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that was some tough news to to read out of uh, Philadelphia this this past week or two weeks ago with, with Zaire Smith. I hope that guy 
um, can get and stay healthy because I, th- I think he's a special player. The, Isaiah Wilkins is sort of the one guy that jumps out to me. Richie and I were talking about this before we started recording. Just in terms of guys who I've seen play on this list, seen basically you know none of Chile and, and Barford and saw a little bit of Zach Smith just when I was doing draft prep on Zaire Smith. But I saw Isaiah Wilkins play a lot over his four-year career at Virginia Felt like UVA was always better when this guy was on the floor. He was an excellent defensive player in college and was, I think, in large part, the best defensive player for all four of his years when he was at UVA on a team that routinely was putting together top five and including sometimes, you know, number one overall defenses in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency. I thought this time a year ago, I thought if this guy could have figured out a little bit more game offensively, like if he could have added a jump shot, if he could have added some like a playmaking game, he could have been a pick and pop guy or a short, a short like a dive roll in like playmaker type guy. But as Spencer said, he has very little discernible, uh, you know, like just really a limited player offensively. And he's only, you know, six seven, six eight, somewhere in that range. He's not super long. He, I don't, I don't think he has it in him to to be a to be a dive guy in terms of a lob guy, or he's certainly not in terms of a lob guy. But even in terms of like a short roll playmaker type guy, and I don't have the synergy numbers right in front of me, but it was something that I tracked last season. He really struggled shooting the basketball, even from out to mid range. So I think it'll be tough for him to find a find a role in the NBA but he's a great defensive player and he can guard a couple different positions so there at least is that that's something for him to hang his hat on well said yeah I I believed in Wilkins at one point the goal really the goal and the idea with him was to fill the Anthony Gill role after Gill left UVA but again Wilkins was never able to stay healthy and uh it was frustrating. He never developed an offensive game. And, and even his sophomore season, you were like, okay, all right, I see the mid-range jumper now. Like, he's got a few moves down there. But it just, like, it just stopped. And it, it is kind of perplexing, actually. But mm-hmm. um, hope, hope to see him in Greensboro. Wouldn't give up on Wilkins yet because yeah. of how versatile he's defensively. But we'll, we'll see on that one. What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Um, all right, moving on, and we can um, spend a little bit more time on this. The 30, 30th anniversary season for the Charlotte Hornets, they are from marketing perspective, shoving it down your throat. <laughs> and uh, as well, they should. Um, they need, uh, you know, they need a way to manufacture some excitement uh, for this team this coming season, which is not an easy task. And I think they've done a nice job. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they have a Hornets30.com. You should go and check out. There's a really cool intro video as soon as you go to that website. Um, you know, they, they, they gave us the, the white throwback unis. Um, which are basically the teal ones, but white, um, mm-hmm. that the team unveiled last season. Um, I, I think they look great. Um, my wife, who is a much more um, attuned to fashion, and, and I respect her opinion more than mine when it comes to that stuff, said, why aren't there pinstripes on the shorts? That would look better. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, right. And then I went and looked at the original one. There wasn't pinstripes on the shorts uh, on the original jersey either. So, you know, if you want to nitpick, that's fine. You know, I, I think they look good. 
Um, and then the court, uh, the throwback court uh, was unveiled last week as well. Rich, you had some thoughts about the court um, before we jumped on here. Share those because I think that's a, I think it's a good point. I like the mm-hmm. court, but I like your thought too. Well, I mean, this is definitely going to be unpopular. I, I love the court at the time in the late 90s, just the honeycomb effect in the lane, the kind of gradient look in the uh, inside the three-point line, and the little stinger swoosh at midcourt. Loved it just because it was so different from all the other other courts in the 90s, although there were some crazy ones in the 90s, like the Raptors and stuff like that. But anyway, I think I would have preferred, and I know this is unpopular, the original court that the Hornets had, just the simple you know, teal and purple. It was just very, you know, less distracting. It was clean. And it, I think it also coincided with the jerseys that they wore. The um, the jerseys that they wore did not coincide, does not coincide with the actual hort that they're, un, you know, the unveiling. So uh, they had a little bit of a different of a uniform when they were on this mid to late 90s court that they have. But um, I like the court, uh, but I think I would have preferred the original one. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good point. I didn't even think about, like, the jersey court design. Uh, mm-hmm. Those two are, aren't really synonymous with each other. I don't know. I guess what I would say with, to that is just, like, it's pretty obvious at this point that, um, you know, this marketing effort is trying to get every fan that existed in that late 90s, or excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, 80s, early 90s frame, all the way into, the, you know, the mid-90s, late 90s, early 2000s. You know, there's so many of those fans, especially the earlier ones that set the attendance record, that just mm-hmm. like really don't want anything to do with this team now. And, you know, it's a constant, uh, that's not everybody, but th- it is definitely a faction of this, uh, what used to be this fan base. It's just like, look, like this isn't what it used to be. I don't want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the marketing dollars are going to continue to be poured in to somehow capturing those people again. I don't know if it's possible, but it's pretty obvious that the team's doing everything they possibly can um, to, to get those fans back in the building. We, we love nostalgia as a society and, and certainly as sports fans. So this is, as you, as you guys just sort of laid out, it's, a, it's, it, it's an effective way to try to market to the team, generate some excitement. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a last-ditch effort, but it, it's certainly one of the final cards to play to sort of lure some of these old-school fans back to caring about the team and, Maybe that coinciding with as the league is getting more popular and basketball is becoming a bigger deal, the NBA is becoming more of a, a global and domestic force in terms of an entertainment product. Maybe maybe that'll help bring bring a few back to the fold. But ultimately, I always think that stuff is sort of just window dressing. Like if you build a contending team that's fun and interesting, people will come back and new fans will, will come too. And, and I think that's sort of the most effective way to guarantee a uh, the the way to construct and establish and, and maintain a fan base, and then you sort of use these types of promotions and social media structure to uh, to bridge the gap between years where you're contending or years where you're down, as opposed to this is how you throw out the net and and hope to sort of start the marketing effort. Um, that said, they're doing a kick-ass job. I'm in, I'm eating it up. It's cool as hell to see this court design back. I mean, it makes me think of my first professional, my first NBA memories are watching the Bulls in the the finals against the Sonics and the Jazz, and then watching the local Hornets games on the crappy basement TV, and watching Glenn Rice and Anthony Mason on this court, and then watching Baron Davis, Jamal Mashburn, those guys on this court. So it's going to be fun to bring it back. Hornets generally play pretty well at home, so it'll be fun to see it back for these these classic night games. And... um, 
and yeah, I like the the white uniforms are they're fine too, and I'm sure it'll, it'll look cool when they when they when they wear them and stuff as well. Um, good stuff. So we'll, let's parlay off the 30th anniversary season and, and kind of go into training camp here and um, more of the marketing efforts. I would say for the team, they will be in Chapel Hill for training camp uh, <laughs> from September 25th through the 27th. Um, and then they're going to host the Celtics in the Dean Dome on Friday, September 28th. So this actually is not the first time they've played in the mm-hmm. Dean Dome. Um, they they have, I think, at least four times, like back in the late 80s, yeah. uh, early 90s. And then the team also actually played a preseason game uh, in Raleigh in 2012. So yep. they've been to the Triangle area before, obviously been a while, six years um, I don't know, BG. I'm going to turn it over to you here because you're the Triangle guy. Is this exciting for people in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, it, look, it's it's one of those things where in in this neck of the woods, the Hornets are always going to take not not in my household, but in, in the majority of other households, they're going to take back seat to whomever the the preferred college basketball team is. Usually UNC, but certainly plenty of NC State and Duke fans too. But this, the Hornets coming in before at the end of September so you know sort of during football season but not you know before basketball season gets fired up I think it I think it's going to draw plenty of, of buzz pardon the the, the pun there in, in this area I'm I'm excited that they're coming to this neck of the woods um when they played the heat in Raleigh in 2012 that was my senior year at NC State so I actually went to that game saw LeBron and and uh Ray Allen and Bosch play no D Wade that night, but that was when they were the Bobcats too, obviously. But look, this is a market that I think the Hornets say what you will about them, you know, sort of falling head over heels, trying to get as many UNC ties to the the franchise as humanly possible. Now with Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak, Jackson Simmons, who played at UNC recently is one of the, the team's video coordinators, I believe too. You got Marvin Williams on the roster. Um, but this is an area, the Triangle, which is a basketball-crazed environment, um, you know, one of the top one or two basketball markets in terms of college hoops in the entire country, you know, right up there with probably uh, Louisville and Lexington, Kentucky. If not, I, I personally would rank it higher than that. But you've also got a lot of young people who love basketball. The NBA is trying to grow in that age demographic, too. The people that are 18 to 35, a lot of those people live in Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill. So this is a good sort of grassroots way uh, and a good opponent with the Celtics, a good coach um, and Brad Stevens and hopefully Kyrie Irving plays in that preseason game, too. Uh, The one year where Kyrie was at Duke, he was injured and out of the lineup before conference play starts. So he's never played at the Dean Dome before. Uh, in terms of a, an actual organized game, at least. So I think it'll be cool. I'm excited. I'm going to try to cover as much of training camp in the game as possible and hopefully bring some of that back to BuzzBeat, obviously, and, and Queen City Hoops and Sports Channel 8 and a few other places. But um, I, I, So I'm a little biased, but I'm excited to have it coming here. And I think this is a market that the Hornets need to do a better job tapping into because even though it's two and a half three hours away there are a lot of hornets fans in this area a lot of people from charlotte come up move here for jobs work school whatever and i think this is a good way to try to get some of the throw out the net a little bit and bring some of those people into the fold as as fans 
Good stuff. Um, yes, I, I already I figured Sports Channel Eight and you and and Hayes and all those guys are going to really be covering um, that training camp and that game against the Celtics uh, as good as anybody else. So be on the lookout for that. If Busby can get involved, we will definitely. Um, you know more to come, but but it's an exciting thing, and I absolutely agree with you. The Hornets need to do a better job of marketing in the Triangle area. You know, is they're obviously spending some coin on marketing efforts. And they've ignored a big part of this state for, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would say a little too long. So, um, or, or just, they're not there enough, right? It's just too sporadic. So it, yeah. it, it would be nice to see them there more often. Um, I, I agree with everything you said, BG. If, um, if, I, if I could throw in one thing though, too, if I were running the Hornets, if I were MJ, man, I'd have training camp up in Asheville every year though. Like it's late September. I'm looking for any excuse to get to the mountains of North Carolina. I'd have it. I'd have training camp every year at Asheville. But uh, again, I think it's really cool that they're bringing it to uh, back to the triangle here. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the schedule release, uh, which came out uh, last Friday, uh, just this last Friday. And, you know, just real quickly, a, a 10,000 foot view. Nothing surprised me. Uh, a few takeaways and a few bullet points here real quick. The Hornets will have 15 back-to-back games. Um, not the tops in the league. Uh, actually, it might be tied for tops in the league. I need to do my research on that. But the average for the league is 13.3. So it's it's 1.7 over the average for all teams. Now, it's pretty obvious that every single year Charlotte asks for as many weekend home games as possible you know for for financial reasons they want to have games on friday saturday nights so the exchange for that is usually more back-to-backs um you know that's the assumption here nothing changes this season um the other takeaway i have just looking at the early season schedule is that the horns have a five-game road trip um after their first game which is at home against Mm -hmm. milwaukee bucks um you know, they go on a quick five uh, five game road trip, all Eastern Conference opponents. Um, that's not ideal, but you know, all in all, I don't think this get nothing jumps out to me. The schedule is is difficult, uh, more difficult than the average anyway. The one uh, West Coast serious seven game, I think West Coast road trip they have, uh, every game is winnable. Uh, I think the toughest opponent is probably Portland on that road trip. So. You know, it looks like the Hornets have an opportunity here early in the season, at least up into the new year. Um, 20 of their first 36 games are at home. That's certainly helpful, you know, after their first after their quick five game road trip to open. Um, but, yeah, I think there's some opportunity again for the Hornets before the new year to have, if not 500, maybe even a little bit more than that. BG, what are you taking away from the schedule? First off, cool to see them have a home opener for the first time in four seasons, and it's it's a nice opponent. You get uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks coming in into town, so hopefully a good a good crowd that night uh, for the Hornets down in Charlotte before they, as you said, they have a pretty quick turnaround and, and they get on the road uh, against look, Miami, Toronto. Those aren't going to be those aren't those are going to be tough games. Orlando, Chicago, uh, you know, a little less frightening than obviously Philadelphia. Um, you know, certainly an intimidating top three team in the Eastern Conference. But one of the – first off, I would recommend anybody to go to uh, check out at BuzzBeat Radio on Twitter. And um, I'm not sure if it was Spencer or Richie, but one of you guys two days ago put together 
nice little uh, information graphic on longest homestand, longest home stretch, longest road trip, uh, home road games by half. And uh, there's some useful information, quick, quick glance, and, and you'll, you'll have a, sort of a better understanding of the schedule. And this was something that I actually talked about on Sports Channel at the radio show yesterday. But the one thing that sort of jumps out to me, and I think, Spencer, you were sort of just talking about this road stretch too, but it's the first week of January to the third week of January. That's the longest road stretch of the season. Um, in fact, they have a six-game road trip in, in, this, in this stretch. They also play nine of 11 games from the 5th of January to the 25th of January on the road. Um, I, that jumps out to me a little bit because that's a few weeks before the trade deadline. That ends a few weeks before the All-Star game in Charlotte. And, you know, look, I think at this point, this team's going to ride it out with Kemba as long as possible, as long as they're still mathematically upright and, and, and still have a chance of playing in the playoffs. But that is one of those stretches. Like, let's say you do get you do get bloodied. You know, you're at Denver. You're at the Clippers. You're at Portland. You're at San Antonio. And then you've got to go to Indiana, to Milwaukee. And if things don't go well on that that road swing, again, there's plenty of winnable games, including two matchups against Phoenix in that stretch. But maybe Phoenix is better this year, too. So I do think it's one of those things like let's say the season is is going OK, not great. Then you get beaten up on that road trip. And what happens? It just it you're maybe setting yourself up to go into the deadline in bad shape with the Kemba Walker um with that, with the Ken Walker trade, trade, trade discussion, still like that's the last little murmur of it happening, leading into the deadline and the All Star game in Charlotte. That makes me a little queasy, but everything else other than that seems pretty standard here in terms of uh, the schedule. Um. Yeah. Well said. Good breakdown there, BG. I I just think that this Hornet schedule. I think everything about this season really is in the first three months. Um, The fact that 20 of the first 36 are at home, the fact that you only get, I think, let's see, up until the new year, if my count is right, like seven Western Conference opponents, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty amazing. (laughs) Uh, You know, you just have to attack the schedule earlier in the season. I think if you're Charlotte, it really, really benefits us uh, in that way. But, you know, yeah, the second half of the schedule, Richie put together this graphic, by the way, um, is it's just tougher. There's more on the road. There's more out west. Um, and the opponents are just harder. So yeah. I, I think you just have to attack the, the first part of the schedule. And if Charlotte, you know, is going into early January and they're, you know, four or five games below 500, I think you're in trouble. So. Um, you know, this, the schedule to me doesn't look a lot different than past schedules for Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I feel like I, a broken record saying this every year, you know, you got to attack the schedule before the, the new year gets here because it always seems to tilt in the Hornets favor. Then, uh, I just think the same rings true this year. So, uh, but it's exciting to finally have something in front of us and start earmarking certain dates. Um, and just getting excited about basketball. It always feels like to me, once you get that, you know, month lull in, in, in late July through mid August or whatever it is, and then the schedule comes out and now you're kind of on the countdown. So mm-hmm. it's always interesting to get the schedule out. Uh, BG, any more thoughts here? Just a little disappointing, albeit certainly not surprising to see the, the lack of national television games for the Hornets. Um, I mean, clearly the, the three of us care a great deal about this franchise and, and covering the roster and, 
certainly our listeners do too and friends of ours, et cetera. But um, yeah, to have only one ESPN game and it's April 10th against Orlando, that game will almost certainly get flexed out. And then, that, again, that's one that's tied for the fuse in the NBA with, I think, Atlanta and Brooklyn and, and Memphis and some other teams. And then to have, again, if you want to count them, I, Richie, I think you're not the biggest fan of, <laughs> of, of counting NBA TV games as national televised games, but the Hornets have three games on NBA TV. That's uh, the 9th of November against Philadelphia, the 13th of November against Cleveland, and then a homecoming game for Tony Parker, the 14th of January. 2019 against san antonio that's it like that is the national tv menu um you want to you know have a a little another inkling into why kimball walker is sort of underrated and underappreciated in terms of the national audience (laughs) i think a big chunk of it has to do with only a certain amount of people have a league pass subscription and of that only a certain amount of people want to watch the hornets play (laughs) right and yeah it's not on national tv all that much so it's a little bit disappointing but again not at all surprising yeah and of of note that um january 14th game in san antonio a martin luther king day game and hornets winners of five straight mlk day games i think and you would think this year yeah, you would you would imagine that's probably in jeopardy having to travel to San Antonio, but exciting game nonetheless with Parker's return, and you can imagine that's going to be an emotional day for not only Parker but that fan base in San Antonio as well. Um, so good stuff, uh, Richie. Any any thoughts on the schedule? What do you so What do you think about the NBA TV stuff again? <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't understand why it's considered national. I don't know. I think that yeah, yeah, yeah. well, not not everyone gets the package of NBA TV. I feel like it's right. always not in the upper tiers of your packages that you have to buy, yeah. but it doesn't come standard. And typically, I could be totally wrong. When they televise games on NBA TV, I feel like they still do the local broadcast, and they don't black that one out. I could be totally wrong. So. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of NBA TV considering it being a nationally televised game because not everyone gets it. Right. It's not a nationally televised game. You're exactly right. So in essence, what we're saying is... The Hornets have no national televised Exactly. Games. The Hornets have zero <laughs> national televised games. Yikes. So uh, as they already didn't get much national exposure, it's only spiraling down further. So, um, yeah. yeah, get excited about that. Yeah. All right. Um, let's get off of this. Starting five discussion, we wanted to dig in a little bit because I think there are a lot of question marks leading into this season. Um, there's certainly a log jam in that small forward to, to power forward and, and guys that toggle back and forth. You know, in that wing forward position, where does everybody fit? You know, you got Miles Bridges, you got Jeremy Lamb, you got Malik Monk, you got Nick Batum. Is he going to go to small forward? You know, you got Marvin Williams. You know, is he going to start? Or is he now going to come off the bench? There's just there's more questions about this rotation than I can remember um, for this team in a long time. And not only that, but now you have a new head coach. And really, I have ideas of what I think could work, but I have no idea what to expect just because, you know, none of us have a great feel for James Borrego and who he values and really who he doesn't at this point. So um, we were texting about this the other day, BG, and I think you're correct. You know, you said, you know, I think that the starting five we've seen for the last few seasons, I think they're going to try out the same five at least to begin the season. I think you're right. Um, here's the question I would pose to you, and I'll answer it real quick first, and then I want to hear your thoughts, is what is the first change that could conceivably happen mm. in the starting lineup? Um, and, and to me, 
I think it's Jeremy Lamb slotted in as, as the shooting guard, Nick Batum moving to small forward, mm-hmm. and Michael K. Gilchrist, as awkward as this is, coming off the bench. I don't like him coming off the bench, but Borrego has a job to do, and I, I think a big part of that job is going to be to evolutionize this offense and and uh, and, and use the corners, use the space on the floor, mm-hmm. um, make, make it move, make the ball move as, as quickly as possible. And so when you think about these factors, I don't think that Michael K. Gilchrist fits that very well. Um, I think there's a role for him. Barico has mentioned that, but you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I think he's the odd man out. If there's if there's a change with his starting five. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I I think. MKG is is totally the flex piece. I mean, I think we all, the three of us, agree that they're going to start the season with Kemba, uh, Nick Batum, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, and Cody Zeller. That that seems like the sort of the tried and true lineup. And for whatever it's worth, all of their preseason uh, projections that I've seen with that five, uh, they look really good. Uh, Jet, and this is if you guys aren't. Following this, I hope I'm pronouncing his game name correctly on one of those two attempts. He's been, he put together his projections for the season. He's got that lineup uh, as, as scoring 115.3 points per 100 possessions and holding opponents to only 104.5 points per 100 possessions. So pretty darn good net rating of over 10 points per 100 possessions. Um, amongst starting fives, that's projected as a top 10 net rating and a top 10 defense. So again, as you said, we need to sort of, pardon me, the Hornets need to attack the early part of the schedule. And if they're going to do that, it makes a lot of sense to try to get this five-man combination out there as much as possible. And it seems like in the NBA, and you've heard plenty of, of national people talk about this before in the past, but there does seem to be sort of this like understanding, unspoken of, we start defense at the wing, and then we moved to offense, which is why Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was always getting the the token start over someone like Jeremy Lamb, who can help uh, lead the second unit offense. And, I, and so I do worry a little bit about you bringing you, Lamb moves to the starting lineup, and and then who all of a sudden who's generating offense for the second unit? I mean, I guess Parker and Monk, they, they certainly could try to at least fit the bill there. I like the thought of Jeremy Lamb playing more minutes with Kemba Walker. Those were very effective minutes for the Hornets this past season. And he gives another shooter. He's maybe the team's second, you know, the the team's second best, you know, pick and roll player, shot creator too. And again, a guy that shot 35, 36%. Didn't take a ton of corner threes last season, but I think you could certainly drill him on, shoot, shade, like feel free, green light from here, man, and get up as many off the catch as you possibly can. So um, and then maybe even that opens up Kemba for more catch and shoots too. So I think that's the, that makes the most sense. I think maybe some people could say, you know, Willie Hernan Gomez, you, maybe he usurps, um, you know, Cody as the starting center. I don't, I don't see that happening or no. maybe Marvin jumps out of the starting five MKG slides to the four and, and then lamb comes in, you know, or, or monk comes in, but. I think the most obvious one is, is as you and I sort of just laid out, which would be Kid Gilchrist going to the bench, Lamb being promoted to the starting five. Yeah, and and you brought up 
the biggest concern is, okay, well, where does the offense um, come from with that second unit uh, when Lamb, you know, I mean, you can leave him in there with, with the second unit for a stretch of time, but when you move him to the starting lineup and, and now you're, you're depending on Parker, Monk, and, and really Hernan Gomez almost exclusively for points with that second unit. You know, Frank, I guess don't forget about Frank, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't um, – I, I just don't see MKG um, fitting in with this starting lineup much longer uh, under what is pretty clearly going to be a, a much different look, Hornets offensively. Um, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see, but – Let's dive in, BG, to the, to the second unit a little bit and try to – I think one of the real intriguing questions is where does Miles Bridges – where do those minutes come from? You know, I, I, part of me thinks that he'll just play exclusively small forward, and therefore, you know, it's a, a little bit easier to find him minutes. Uh, the other part of me thinks that he's going to split his time between small forward and power forward, and now you're talking, okay, well, Frank's minutes are going down. Okay, uh, Marvin obviously plays a lot less now, ceremonial starter. But are we talking like less, like twenty minutes a night for Marvin kind of deal? Um, and then you know from there, uh, MKG again. Like if he's playing small four minutes and MKG's coming off the bench, like so, so where does he fit? It's hard for me to really find like more than ten minutes per night for Miles right now. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think he's going to end up splitting plenty of his time at the three and the four. At Summer League, he basically exclusively played the four. Um, he even played five at one point. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm all for it. Uh, as much time as, as Miles Bridges can get at the four or five, and I get that there are – it creates all kinds of issues on the defensive glass and at the rim and stuff like that, but – I don't know. I, I sort of like his versatility and the the thought of him as a as a switch defender is, is sort of appealing to play him at the four. And I just like the thought of him in a four outlook being the four and the screen setter in in the trailer on offense. And again, it's a way to sort of you know, like you said, knock knock Marvin's minutes down a little bit without giving more of them to Frank. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. And in my sort of ideal scenario. Again, Marvin probably stays as the starter, although I see the appeal of you bring him to the bench as sort of an easy way to dial back his minutes. But um, I just don't think Bridges is going to be ready anytime too soon to, to start at the NBA, although I don't think he would be afraid of the challenge, certainly. But in my ideal world, all 48 power forward minutes go to the combination of Marvin Williams, Miles Bridges, and... Um, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, but I, I understand that that's unlikely to happen, and, and I think Frank Kaminsky is going to at least get some token minutes at the backup forward spot. But uh, I think you'll see plenty of bridges at the three and the four. It does make it a little interesting, like if if, if MK to the bench, how does that impact? You know, what's the the ripple wave impact on on, on Miles Bridges, who's sort of splitting time at the three and the four? So. Um, but I, I think you'll see a lot of him at both forward spots, and I'm up for him getting as many minutes at the power forward, the the nominal power forward position for Charlotte. Um. So one of the other, I think one of the other ideas that is you know merit of some uh, some conversation here is the idea of Malik Monk starting mm -hmm. at, at shooting guard. Um. You know, Richie, you kind of brought this up the other day. We were texting about it. And, 
you know, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. Um, how it makes sense the most is like, oh, all of a sudden, this second unit looks pretty solid. Like, look, we got Tony Parker, we got Jeremy Lamb, you got Michael K. Gilchrist, um, Frank Minsky, or, or Bridges, and mm-hmm. then and then Hurt and Gomez. Like, okay, that that's just two lineups that should mm-hmm. be able to be pretty competent offensively. Certainly, the first unit you would think. And then the second unit, now you have MKG in there is is your insurance policy defensively when you have to have Frank Kaminsky, Hernan Gomez, uh, and Jeremy Tony Parker. Yeah, and Tony Parker on the floor. You know, you, you feel better about the versatility mm-hmm. and maybe the switchability of that lineup. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. The biggest question is, is, is are we just going to hand the starting spot to Malik Monk, right? You know, that feels like a little bit of charity there and maybe that that's playing against – this is kind of like the old school – thought process mm-hmm. but it plays against like making him earn it right uh, and yeah. maybe that maybe that's the less important concept here maybe it's just like well, let's just make sure this this you know meshes the right way and it makes sense on paper before we go make guys earn it but you know when you consider monk's season last year you know the work ethic the body language yeah you know i'm not gonna say it was awful but it was certainly suspect and um, I think you need to see more out of this guy, in my in my opinion, before you just hand him a starting spot. But again, it makes a lot of sense on paper. I, I agree. And I think it's unlikely for him to be, unless he just has, you know, behind closed doors in Charlotte, he's having just a kick-ass summer. And, and we're just sort of left in the dark right now because we're not around the practice facility every day. I'm not opposed to the idea uh, of Malik getting the starting spot. And then that way you've got a certified bench scorer and Jeremy Lamb still coming off the bench. Plus, like you said, MKG show and you know, maybe he and Bridges as the two backup forwards that gives you a little versatility and some athleticism off the bench. That's, that's, that's appealing. Malik Monk's going to get up shots no matter what. I mean, he, this guy's in the NBA because he's a shooter and he's a scorer and, he doesn't have a, a, a big filter on what he thinks is a, a, a you know a bad a bad shot. Um, I think a little restraint would would go a long way for him. And I think minutes next to Kemba would be consistent minutes next to Kemba. Malik Monk, I think he was around 37, 38% three point shooting off the catch last season. I think I like that. I like him as a secondary guy. You know, cl- you know, attacking bent defenses or, or getting to run a little more pick and roll with Cody getting to play with a floor spacer like Marvin at the four, like all of that stuff I think makes, and getting to play with a connector like Nick Batum, I mean, I could see it. That there's some scenario where it works. You know, if Malik Monk is improved, both in terms of his game, his shot selection, his health, and his overall attitude, getting to play against a guy like Kemba, get, or pardon me, getting to play with Kemba, getting to play with a screen setter like Cody Zeller and a connector like Nick Batum, there's some intriguing stuff that that Charlotte could do, but again, a lot depends on the internal development of of Malik Monk. Yep, no doubt. Um, and kind of to the tune of what we're talking about, Queen City Hoops poll um, they released a poll on Twitter the other day that got uh, a lot of interaction. So thanks for everybody that voted. Um, the question was, what Hornet storyline are you most interested in this season? Um, the four options were Kimball Walker's contract year, Malik Monk's sophomore season, Cody Zeller back as the starting center, or Nick Batum. What position is he playing? Is he going to move to small forward? So the results were it was a little surprising to me. Uh, Monk's sophomore season, 55%. Kimba, 38%. 
Zeller 5%, uh, Batum 2%. So it's pretty clear that this fan base is locked in on Monk, his development, mm-hmm. um, what happens from here. This feels like, I mean, everyone knows it's an important year, but it feels like a crucial year for Malik Monk and his uh, really what he becomes as an NBA player. Uh, this really feels like right or left kind of deal. Yeah, um, no, there's totally. A fork, there's a fork in the road here for Monk already a year in, and uh, it's, it's very important. So, BG, I think you made a great point, um, what you were talking about, getting him on the floor with Kimba or Batum or both more often. Make the game simpler for him. And, you know, when he was out there last season, he didn't play much with either of those guys. Um, and when he was out there, again, it was a lot of him just chucking bad shots because mm. you know, he was playing with bad lineups. And so part of that, you're like, well, you don't blame him. But the other part is you, we got to see more than mm-hmm. just being a heat check guy all the time. Um, I think that, you know, I think that when you when – you, think about him in the starting lineup as the shooting guard you're basically saying okay we're trading mkg for malik monk and defensively on the wing monk and batum out there and then marvin williams you know 40 year old marvin Williams. i mean at this point like what shaky I mean, and we we're talking about a potential like bottom 10 defense yeah uh, with with that group mm-hmm. so that's something to consider too but also a very uh, potent offense so, yeah, we'll see. It, it's not an easy task for Borrego to fit Monk in in situations that give him an opportunity to play with the ball in his hands but also play with guys that are going to make the game easier. I think yeah. you've got to find the, the healthy balance, and it's going to be very tough. Can I add something uh, real quick? Um, yeah. I, I think I'm probably more open to Monk starting than maybe you two guys are, and maybe I even probably see it happening earlier maybe than you guys do. And um, to the last point that you just made, Spencer, I just kind of want to kind of quickly throw this in. Obviously you're trading uh, defense for offense or offense for defense, however you want to look at it. When you put Monk in and you move MKG to the bench, but you almost wonder if Batum move into the three uh, defensively. I mean, clearly Batum has a lot of, you know, inabilities on that end of the court, but does he get quote unquote better defensively by moving him to the three? I mean, slightly. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a good thought exercise. Um, you know, I, Batum, to your point, he has more ability defensively than he has shown. Now, mm-hmm. is that because he's guarding twos, or is that because, you know, he just hasn't really shown much uh, effort? <laughs> to be quite honest with you, you know, like I like I get what you're saying, and I think that there's a lot of validity to it. But to, for me, at the end of the day, like the difference between the two positions isn't great enough for me to be like, oh, that solves all the problems. And I'm not saying that's what you're getting to, but, like, Nick Batum just got to care more. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Like, the guy just – he just loafs on that end of the floor. So, you know, I mean, I I think that Nick Batum could, like, guard fours in certain lineups, Mm -hmm. and I think you might see that because Borrego's going to try to play smaller and he's going to experiment. But, like, regardless of what position he's guarding, like, Nick Batum's got to – at least try pretend like he's gotten in a defensive stance before in his life, you know, get his arms out and try to move his feet. I mean, it's just been, I don't know. And it has definitely flown under the radar nationally. I would say like mm-hmm. people still out there, like these Houston Rockets trade ideas, yeah. but like, oh, they want, <laughs> they want a wing defender and they're willing to take on uh, extra money. And Richie, you're the first one who made the point on uh, Twitter. You're like, well, yeah, that's fine. Why are we talking about Nick Batum? He's not a defender. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't even make sense. So It's the same thing that we're talking about, though. Like, when you look at him, he should have the ability. So people on the outside that don't watch the Hornets, we talk about this all the time, even on this episode, we don't get that national exposure. Um, 
just by looking at Batum and how he's lanky, the way that he's built, you would think that he would be able to stay in front of defenders, uh, but he doesn't have that one-two, doesn't have that mentality. Yeah, I, I think it's actually been, side note, I think it's been sort of interesting, a lot of these like proposed wing trades you've seen with the Rockets who are clearly trying to add another wing, I mean, they're all so-so defenders at best. Like, you think Kent Bazemore is going to come in and replace, you know, like, your the three and D production of Trevor Ariza, like, or Nick Batum or J.R. Smith? Like, eh, good luck. Um, maybe if it were Tyler Johnson or James Johnson on Miami, that that'd make a little more sense. But um, yeah, and Nick Batum is is not a three and D player. Uh, I could see him fitting in offensively around. Uh, around James Harden and Chris Paul, but that's definitely not the best way to use his skill set offensively in like an ISO heavy offense. Nor is he going to be a guy that can come in and lock up opposing, you know, small forwards, two guards, or whatever. Um, but in terms of, I guess on average, you know, maybe small forwards are a little bit. You know, the foot speed is not quite as high as a guard, and therefore, if you move Batum down a position, it it helps a little bit. Um, I want to throw out one one lineup stat that I saw this week that I, I thought was pretty interesting. So this is from uh, Daryl Blackport on Twitter. He's at bballport, and he runs the site called pvpstats.com, which is an excellent resource for all kinds of on-off lineup data. I, I could not recommend checking out the site anymore, but he put together all 30 teams in the NBA, their most used lineup since the 2001 2002 season and this could extend across multiple lineups multiple seasons but the most used lineup for charlotte the charlotte franchise in this basically 20-year window is the 2017-2018 starting five of kemba batum mkg marvin and dwight that played a little under 1100 minutes together um, almost uh, almost 111 points per 100 possessions a net rating of plus 2.4 and again, that just goes to, it's a reminder just how much injuries to MKG and Cody, uh, MKG in 15, 16, Cody in 16, 17, and 17, 18, is how much, like, this lineup, these all feel like old, these are all, like, guys that have been around the franchise for a, a long time now, but they really haven't played, like, that, all that much together over the last three years, which is a little interesting, um, especially when you factor in the, the, the this, that, Kemba, Marvin Williams, Nick Batum have played in this three-year stretch 4,500 minutes together. It's just been Cody and MKG that have not been able to stay on the court. So, again, this is a roster. These guys know each other really well, but they haven't played quite as many minutes together as you, as you maybe think they have. So that's another sort of thing to keep an eye on going into the season. It's a, it's a great point, BG. Um, you know, again, the broken record thing. I mean, it's... Can Cody Zeller stay healthy? You know, can yeah. him and Kimba log tons of minutes together? Um, you know, can can MKG stay healthy? I mean, we've seen with those two guys healthy, plugged into the lineup with Kimba Walker, things just work. They, ju- they just work. I mean, especially when it comes to Kimba and Cody. Um, I mean, those two, you know, in what was, what was the, the season? 15, 16, what were they? Yeah. Plus 8.2 is a two-man combo, which is one of the best marks in the league. Um and that's to me like that Twitter poll on Queen City Hoops the other day. Actually, what I'm most interested in, and that's why I had it in there as an option. Obviously, other people aren't super interested. Is how Cody Zeller, assuming he stays healthy, can they churn out the efficiency as an offense mm-hmm. with him as the starting center? 
that that him and Kimba have in the past. That that's so fascinating to me. Especially they're gonna have guy, to. They're gonna, they're have, gonna to. have. Yeah, but especially with a guy like Borrego now, who I think is gonna. It's not going to look the same. You know, Cody in the short roll, Cody's going to have more corner passing opportunities. There's mm-hmm. going to be more floor spacers. Like, I think this offense could actually go, it could actually get better from what it's been in the past. So I'm really, really interested in that. And I, I say a prayer every night that, that Cody Zeller will be able to play <laughs> 70 games this year. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that, that could really be the difference for Charlotte. Um, anything else with the lineup that we want to talk about before we get to Twitter questions? Uh, I think we covered it there. Okay. All right. Perfect. Um, all right. Let's jump in. Uh, we got quite a few Twitter questions. Uh, Patrick Connor, we already answered yours. We have a few more here. First one from at chill 1199. Um, would like to hear your input on the starting two position, the backup five competition. We can talk about that a little bit. I think we covered the starting two position um, and the backup four competition. Um, for what it's worth, I see Kimba, uh, Tony Parker, Lamb Monk, Batum, MKG, Marvin, Miles, Zeller, Biz. So that's your, you know, one-two starting backup punch. Um, all right. Well, thanks for the question. Um, I guess I'll start. Let's just cover the backup five competition and then the backup four. Like I said, we already did the shooting guard thing. Actually wrote uh, a, a column on the, the, the backup center competition between Bismack Biombo and Willie Hernan Gomez uh, on mpaanalysis.net. You can go check that out if you want just this past week. Uh, I think it's pretty obviously Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, he brings more to the table offensively, obviously. You know, it, it, he's, he's taken over the past two years, including summer league, only 25 corner three or 25 threes. He's made 10 of those. And uh, yes, I know that's a super small sample size. But that guy got up 3.25 threes per game in summer league. So I think it was obviously a focus of his, uh, you know, to build on that aspect of his game. I expect Hernan Gomez to be the starting, or excuse me, the backup five. And Biz really to be just a utility center um, in minutes when they need him. I think there'll be nights where Biz does not play. Um, look, this might be Ambo. Like, you go look at the numbers. He's actually been one of the worst rotational yeah. centers in the NBA over the past two seasons. Like, he was awesome in Toronto, top 10 in real plus-minus defensively in Toronto, and actually, like, top 40, I want to say, offensively. So he was, he was like, a starting center, basically. And then he went to Orlando, and he was, I mean, everything changed. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can attribute a lot of that to just being an Orlando system, but this has been terrible the past two years. So expect uh, Hernan Gomez to be the backup five. And then uh, backup four, I mean, I, I think it's still Frank Kaminsky. Uh, I, I just don't think Miles is ready for that role yet. Um, it's do or die time, do or die time for Kaminsky. Um, I, you know, I have a guess what's going to happen. Nothing's going to change basically. Yeah. With his game, but this is a this is a show me year for Frank. So I, I think he he's going to be your backup. Yeah, I I, I agree uh, with you on both accounts there. I think there's some intrigue with Biz as the backup five, but. Um, I would like to see the second unit load up offensively. Uh, I think they're going to struggle defensively no matter what with 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 Parker or, or Monk or you know who, if it's Frank at the four two. I think they're going to struggle defensively no matter what. I like Willie Ernan Gomez as a pick and roll player. Uh, I like his as a DHO. I like his ball skills twenty five feet from the hoop. Whether he sh- and I, you know at least there's the threat of him trying to shoot, which as we've talked with Frank before in the past, sometimes the threat is is enough. 
And again, I like his ability to pass. I like his ability to run handoffs. And um, you know, especially if Malik Monk's playing on the second unit, then he and he and Willie Ernan Gomez showed really nice chemistry down the stretch of the final, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 games last season. I'd like to tap into that as much as possible. It just goes, it's just crazy again to see. I mean, Bismack Biombo is the second most expensive player on this roster. He's making $17 million in each of the next two seasons. And it's crazy that he's he's pigeonholed as, you know, either at backup center, if not the the third, you know, the fifth or sixth big guy on a roster. It's just sort of crazy. Um, and yeah, I see, I think Frank will certainly start the year as the backup for Oh, look, I think this guy is what he is now at this point. I mean, he's played 250 games. Most guys don't make some sort of serious jump after that, but maybe he makes, maybe he gets a, a little bit better defensively or, or a little more consistent outside shooter. I I wouldn't bet a penny on it. But um, my hope would be by the end of the year, all the backup four minutes are going to Bridges or MKG. Uh, perfect. Perfect. Um at Dookie Brown on Twitter. Thank you for the question, <laughs> Brown. Has Monk been in the gym or still rehabbing? Uh, he's been in the gym. So, um, you know, a little scare in Summer League as well. But all is, all is good. And, and the team is <laughs> painting it as if he's having a fantastic summer. So um, we'll see if that's true or not as the season gets here. But, no, he's been in the gym working out. And if you follow uh, Pete Gwelly, uh on Twitter, you, you will know that Monk's been in the gym getting up shots this summer. So yeah. they've been they've been trotting him out there is, is a is a big positive. Um all right, at Walker Hair at Walker underscore Harris three. Will Nick Batum struggle offensively and defensively in a faster paced NBA compared to other shooting guards, small forward options? Um I think we kind of covered this earlier. I mean, defensively, we we definitely covered it. Offensively, I, his IQ is is too high. Um, I, I think to struggle in in a faster paced NBA. Yeah, he's not a he's not a fantastic athlete. Um, but Batum, just his vision as a player, I think, yeah. makes him pretty. Um, you know, he's adaptable. Really, I yeah. think in any kind of offensive system. So I, I agree. He's just a, he's just good enough of a three point shooter. And he's such an unselfish passer and smart passer and has such good vision that he can fit just about any system. And if the Hornets are are sort of bent on trying and dedicated to getting it side to side more, Batum, a guy who can shoot pretty well from deep off the catch and is a good passer, is a good connector, he, he might even do better regardless of, of pace and tempo as opposed to it being just fastball down the middle of the plate with Kemba Walker pick and rolls every time. Well, I apologize to this guy because I overlooked this and actually did zero prep on players. And, and I promise we will cover this. BG might have something for you, but I have not really looked at uh, at possible targets for this trade exception yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yield the BG here. Yeah, I don't I don't have much prepped out either. We need we need to definitely bring this up on on the next on the next podcast when we record. But I guess the, if you're looking for you know Spencer early in this podcast, you were talking about the trade exception. Maybe, you know, you, you look to bring in a player from a team that's, you know, trying to get underneath the uh, underneath the tax or is trying to shed some of its tax bill. I mean, one of the one of the names that that quickly came to mind, and I don't think he would move the needle in Charlotte all that much, but Oklahoma City has the biggest payroll in the entire NBA, and they've been able to shed some of that by by moving Carmelo. But they're basically right at one hundred and fifty 
million dollars <laughs> before you even factor in any any of the the tax bill there too. Um, they have three point guards on the roster. So look, let's just say it doesn't go well with Tony Parker. Let's say Devontae Graham isn't healthy. Well, I don't know. Maybe Raymond Felton, you, the on on the trade the the trade exception. I don't think that's something they'd be super interested in. But Oklahoma City has Dennis Schroeder as a backup point guard now. Raymond Felton sort of seems like uh, a bit of the uh, the odd man out um, in terms of the point guard rotation in Oklahoma City. So maybe he's a guy, but I need to do uh, more digging on that too. But make sure again, like Spencer said early, target some of these teams that have the the, the big payroll. Um, that they're possibly, um, you know, they, they, maybe they function as a, as a, a trade partner here. Yeah, exactly. It's either coming that way or, or really like the Sam Decker trade, um, between the Clippers and, and the Cavs that just happened, you know, the Clippers are just, they have too many guys on their roster. Not only that they invite guys into camp, but I mean, they're, they're, they were 20 players. And so even after they cut the camp guys, they were going to be over the roster, uh, limit so they traded Decker um, to Cleveland and Cleveland just took him on into their trade exception which is mm-hmm. a freaking steal I, I think Sam Decker's a good NBA player um, so it, maybe that way like it, we could use it as our 15th roster spot before the se- season starts if a team goes into camp and says hey this guy really caught our eye and you know hey we can take him on for, for a rookie contract Whereas we've got this guy at five, six, seven million, whatever it is, uh, and we're just not really interested in, in having him on our team. So the Hornets could say, "Great, you know, we'll take him into our trade exception." That's the fifteenth roster spot. So really, that's the other way that it happens. But I agree with BG. I think you, you look at teams. Portland's another one. They probably need to shed some salary before it's all said and done. I just don't see them being a fifty to fifty-five win team. Uh, they're over the tax right now. You can look at their roster. Is there a guy that? that Charlotte could take on at a salary that's less than $8 million. It can help. Um, really, right now, what I would tell you is backup point guard, it's just wait and see, right? Like, if Tony yeah. Parker can play, then it's not going to be a need. My gut instinct is before next season's said and done, before the trade, line, trade deadline gets here, Charlotte's going to be saying, hey, we need backup point guard help. So that's where they'll really use that trade exception. Uh, the other position would be power forward. I just think that there's Marvin's old, Frankie can't trust. Um, you know, Miles isn't ready. You know, so so maybe they need some some stability there, and really a guy defensively they can trust at that position, which I don't know that they have right now. There, one name jumps off. I don't think Portland would would move him, but he's he can play minutes at the power forward. He's a good defender. Pretty good three-point shooter, and he would be he's just under $7 million a year. But Al Farouk Aminu in Portland, again, he's super important to what the Blazers are trying to do. And if they're trying to pseudo-contend in, in the West as much as you can with Golden State and Houston uh, laying, laying in front of them, he'd be a guy that would, that would make some sense. Maybe um, from the Clippers, Mike Scott or Luke Mbamute, two, two other sort of – both those guys are about $4.5 million a year too. But um, – it's tough to see. I, I don't know. I don't know if either of I don't know if either of those franchises want to part way with these players too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so you know, it's wait and see. It, it, it all sh- this shakes out when we get to you know December, early January, and it, the writing starts to be on the wall for these teams over the tax. Some are going to be thinking, okay, we're a contender. Others are going to be panicking, trying to get off money. So that's really when it becomes clear. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll have some more names. That's a good question. Again, apologize we didn't prep for that one. Um, 
All right. I, I think that's pretty much it. We covered a lot today. Good to be back in the saddle. For myself, that is Richie. That is BG. From here, really, I, I think we're still going to be on that once every two or three weeks until we get to training camp, and then we'll really start kicking it back up again for you guys. Um, so appreciate you, as always, listening to BuzzBeat Radio. This was episode 72. Do not forget we're a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and home, queencityhoops.com. And don't forget our good friends over at sportschannel8.com. Follow them at tw- on Twitter, excuse me, at sportschannel the number eight. If you're not following Richie, Brian, and I, make sure you find us too. And then Queen City Hoops at QCH Block. All right, until next time, see you guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.